I'm Paul Wiegraf, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts and your host for today. Our guest today joining us by phone is Jamie Bennett, the Executive Director of Art Place America. And from Wilmington in the studio, Carrie Gray, the Executive Director of Wilmington Renaissance Corporation. We have the two of you together on the show today for a very important reason. Uh, there's a connection going on between, Jamie, the work that you're doing and the work that Carrie is doing here in Wilmington. But, Jamie, first, welcome to the show. And let's hear a little bit about Art Place. America. Absolutely, Paul. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you guys, albeit over the phone today. Um, I am lucky enough to be the relatively newly appointed executive director of Art Place America, which is a collaboration among 14 foundations, eight federal agencies, and six banks and financial institutions. And we're brought together by the belief that the arts can and should help shape the future of their communities. So about four years ago, a guy called Rocco Landisman, who was then chairman of the National Endowment for the Arts, and a person called Darren Walker, uh, who was leaving the Rockefeller Foundation to move over to the Ford Foundation, got together and realized that there was, they had an issue with the sort of typical conversation about the arts um, that happened in this country, mostly because it began usually from a place of scarcity. Right when an arts when an arts organization would would begin a conversation with someone, they would usually talk about their lack, what they needed, and it would be something along the lines of, "God, I've got this really great project. I'd love to be able to do it, but I don't have enough money. And if you only had a hundred dollars, I could do this project, and wouldn't that be great?" And that's not the strongest place to begin a conversation, and it also doesn't recognize the sort of unique value add that the arts brings to the table. It doesn't open with their strengths or open with their abundance. And so what Rocco and Darren and Rip Rapson, who's the president of the Kresge Foundation, and their other colleagues decided was to come up with this tagline, creative placemaking. And what we mean by that are the ways in which the arts can help shape the social, physical, and economic futures of their communities. And I was recently talking with a friend uh, and colleague who helped me actually refine it even simpler. In creative placemaking, the creative is an adverb. So it's the doing, it's the activity that is creative, and it's the place that is transformed. So we're essentially looking to come together and invest in projects where, where people are doing the arts in order to transform community. And uh, it's been really exciting. We've been around for about three years, uh, and we're going to be around for another seven. We were established as a 10-year fund with the goal of sort of fomenting as much creative placemaking activity as we can all around the country. So is it, is it fair to say it's less about the, the concert or the exhibition, and it's more about how the, uh, the aggregate programming of a community uh, contributes to what that community is and the personality of that community. So yes and no. Um, so the example I often give is, so let me back up for a sec. Mm -hmm. um, the, it's important, I think, to sort of remember that we're asking why something is being done in order to decide whether it fits in the creative placemaking frame. So there are lots of conversations I have, for instance, with performing arts centers around the country who say, we live in, the, in these communities, we're only getting a certain percentage of a certain slice of the population coming here. We want to diversify our audiences. And so don't you want to give us money to diversify our audiences? And my response to that is that's a hugely important thing to be done, 
that's not within the lens of creative placemaking, and that's not what I have money for. The example of what I would have money to invest in is something like the New World Symphony, which is this extraordinary um, organization and building down in Miami that actually started broadcasting its concerts on its outside walls. So if you're walking by the building, you can actually see the concert being broadcast, literally projected on the outside of the wall with a sort of extraordinary sound system. And what makes that difference is the reason, one of the reasons that they've started doing that activity is that New World Symphony is right next to Lincoln Road, which is right near a city park that was vacant, right? Not a lot of folks were going there. People in Miami like being outside on the beach. They don't necessarily spend lots of time outside hanging out in other areas. And so this plaza wasn't a particularly safe place to be. It wasn't a particularly attractive place to be. It wasn't contributing foot traffic to the local stores and restaurants and magazine stands and all of that. So by broadcasting the concert on the outside of the walls, they were actually enlivening that public square, inviting Miamians to, to make it a sort of vibrant, exciting place, not a scary, dangerous, desolate place. And they were helping to sort of transform what that neighborhood was understood to be and what was happening there. So it was still about a concert. It still had, in our frame, the side effect of diversifying the audience and bringing new people in to joy, enjoy the tremendous symphonic music that they have. But the frame that they placed it in was we're really looking to transform and enliven this public square into a place that's sort of an exciting, an exciting center that drives activity. So, you know, it, it's, it's the success of that in our frame was measured by its transformation of place that also happens to be an artistically excellent, extraordinary orchestra that's, that's you know, wonderful also within a frame of art for art's sake. Jamie, you've used the word transformation many times, and I think that's a great segue to uh, turn, uh, turning to Carrie at this point, the executive director of the Wilmington Renaissance Corporation. There are connections between transformation and renaissance. Carrie, how does what Jamie's been talking about sort of fit into where you see Wilmington right now and through the lens of the, the Renaissance Corporation? Well, for the last 21 years, Wilmington Renaissance has been working to help revitalize um, the city of Wilmington, mostly focused on the downtown area. And that activity has included things from redevelopment of Lower Market Street to reopening Market Street to two-way traffic to bringing the Delaware College of Art and Design to Wilmington um, and helping establish the Wilmington Grand Prix bike race. It's any number of activities. Those are just some of the highlights. But the work that we've been engaged in in the last few years has been around um, – it started as a conversation around how do we develop more artists live work opportunities in Wilmington. Shipley Lofts is a great uh, pilot project in the city. First time we've had artists live work housing built in the city, and it's a wonderful building, and it's full. But it's a rental property. Um, and how do we establish more home ownership for artists in the city was the conversation that started about three years ago. And that conversation has evolved. And about a year ago, we started working on developing a vision plan to establish a creative district in Wilmington. Um, and we're right now at the point where that plan has been completed and implementation will begin. But what we will be doing over the next number of years is creative placemaking, is what Jamie has talked about. It's about taking the Wilmington Art Loop, which happens to be tomorrow night on uh, the first Friday of the month, um, and 
extending that art loop into the neighborhood directly west of Market Street, the Quaker Hill neighborhood, but also doing it in a different way. So the art loop is typically, you know, you go into galleries, you see spaces, you're inside the buildings. And what we're looking to do with the um, the, the folks that run the art loop at the city, the mayor's office of cultural affairs is to broaden that definition of that experience that you have. So, you know, you're walking down Shipley Street and there's some light installation projection happening on the side of a building. Um, there may be more permanent light installations or public art installations, um, mural projects, things like that, that happen in um, this area, as well as artists live work housing, as well as spaces for production and consumption of creative industry. Um, and we're really we're being very intentional about the definition of of this district as a creative district so that people realize it's not just about visual artists or performing artists. This is about, you know, app developers, um, tech people, makers, people that are, you know, making jewelry or woodworking or whatever. Um, it's a very broad definition of what we, um, you know, might have traditionally called an arts district. And mm-hmm. we're being very intentional about that. So it's it's creative industries in, in a broader scope. Absolutely. Now, I, I know that the uh, Wilmington Renaissance Corporation's annual meeting is coming up, mm-hmm. right, on Tuesday, May 6th at the World Cafe Live at the Queen. And I understand Jamie Bennett is the keynote speaker. He is. that is. right, Jamie? <laughs> yeah, what a wonderful coincidence that we three happen to be on the radio together. Today. So so there's the connection. Carrie, I'm curious. How did you come across Jamie uh, as an idea? And um, then we can talk, the two of you, about you know wh- what this connection is and how how it, how it can work. So one of the best things about Delaware, and, and we say this a lot in, in the community, is the, the smallness of the state allows for great relationships and great connectivity. And um, we happen in our state to be very blessed that we have um, a, an arts representative working for the National Endowment for the Arts. Her name is Laura Scanlon. She used to be head of the Delaware Division of the Arts, your role now, Paul. And we called Laura and we said, Laura, we need a speaker to come to our annual meeting to talk about creative placemaking. We want it to be somebody of a national scope who has a broad breadth of experience in this area. And she said, without hesitation, Jamie is your guy. Um, and Jamie and Laura have a great relationship because uh, he used to be the chief of staff at the NEA. So they had known each other for years. And she said, let me just send him a note and I'll copy you and see if we can get this going. And the great thing about Jamie is he didn't hesitate. He said, absolutely, I can come to Delaware. Um, it's just a quick train ride from New York City to come down to Delaware and to um, you know, kind of share the story of creative placemaking from around the country. What are successes that are happening um, on both a large scale and a small scale? And how can Delaware start to capitalize on that? And specifically for us, Wilmington, how can we capitalize on that to try and really create the transformation that creative placemaking can create? I like the only thing. Go ahead, Jamie. Oh, sorry, I was no, go ahead. The only, th- the only thing I wanted to add to that is I'm also really excited to get to know Wilmington and to also sort of carry back to the national stage some of the lessons that I think we can that can be called from the work that Carrie and and the Renaissance Corporation are doing there. I have to admit that up till now. I've been um, one of those folks who who has only been through Wilmington. I haven't actually been able to spend any time there. So I'm really looking forward to get to know, getting to know Art Loop, getting to know the what's going on with the Grand Opera, with Jazz Fest, understanding some of the 
the challenges that, that Wilmington is working through that are very familiar to other cities around the country. I mean, we talked a little bit, um, Carrie and I, about some of, the, some of the transportation choices in Wilmington that were meant to connect people but have sort of ended up bisecting people mm-hmm. or disconnecting people the mm-hmm. way that um, MLK Boulevard and 395 and the railroad tracks mm-hmm. can actually serve as physical divisions. But there are ways that I think the arts and the creative industries and the excitement that's going on can help bridge those literally as well as sort of spiritually. So I'm looking um, to both sort of share some of the national story, but also to learn a lot and to carry back and inform my work. And we'll pursue that. But first, I want to remind our listeners, you're tuned into News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV for Delaware State of the Arts. Our guest today by phone, Jamie Bennett, the Executive Director of Art Place America, and Carrie Gray, the Executive Director of Wilmington Renaissance Corporation. Jamie, I'm curious, uh, as, as you look at examples around the country, are there common themes that you see in the different examples of creative placemaking? And then the, the second follow-up question to that is, are, what are some of the unique characteristics from one creative placemaking location to another? Sure, absolutely. Um, so we ha- it's been interesting. We, we receive, we do an annual call for applications. And we say, essentially, if you're anyone in the country who's doing something that's creative placemaking and you'd like to ask for money, please do so. So at the end of last year, we got about 1,300 applications in from all around the country. And unfortunately, we're only able to invite a second round of applications from about 97 of them, and we'll end up making about 50 grants. So, you know, we'll end up funding about 4% um, uh, of the applications we receive, which I think is a slightly worse percentage than even Harvard has for its admissions. <laughs> but the upside of that, the nice side of that, is that these 1,300 applications give us an insight into what's happening around the country and allow us to sort of call out some themes. And one of the ones that's been sort of very interesting to me is for the first three years of our grant making, there were lots of projects looking to activate public plazas, right? Similar to that Miami example that I gave, there were lots of sort of plazas in downtowns that were vacant or were especially vacant as of 5.01 p.m. in the evening, and people wanted to activate them. This year, what's been really interesting is we've actually seen lots of projects looking to activate alleyways. So the places, the streets, the corridors that actually connect those plazas now need to be activated so that the entire you know, movement around a, a city or around a community is safe and exciting and, and vibrant. Um, we've seen a fair number of, of communities in this country that are in the sort of wake of disasters, lots of weather-related disasters, and there are ways to sort of use the arts to both improve the quality of life in a quick way as a community is sort of rebuilding and recovering itself. And there are also examples where communities are using the arts and using design thinking to help imagine new futures for themselves. One of our grantees is fond of saying that some of the communities around them after the hurricane are looking to sort of rebuild themselves as they were, and they're looking to rebuild themselves in a new way. Um, When he was a mayor of Newark, uh, Cory Booker was once asked sort of what the most difficult part of being a mayor is, and he thought for a minute, and the answer he gave was getting folks to believe that tomorrow can be different. 
And I think the arts and, and the creative industries and, and design really help people to imagine a new future, to imagine something that doesn't yet exist. So I think that role in disaster recovery is really interesting. We've also seen a fair amount around sort of food and agriculture. Um, we've seen um, a lot of movement towards temporary public art. So not necessarily a permanent piece of public art that's a choice you make forever, but a temporary piece that would be there for three months or a performance that would be there you know, for an evening. And what's interesting to me about that is those temporary interventions sometimes let communities be a little more daring or a little more adventuresome because you're not making a choice forever. So if you choose something and half the people hate it, it's sort of okay if it's going to be gone in three months. So, I mean, those are some of the things that, that, that we've called through. And then in terms of, of your, the second half of your question, one of the things that's really important, I think, about the creative placemaking work is that word place and that sort of recognition that each place in this country has a unique character and that projects shouldn't be sort of one size fits all. And what works in Wilmington won't necessarily work in Cleveland where my grandmother is or Champaign, Illinois, where my folks are or something like that, because those are three very different communities that have different challenges and different assets. So there's, you know, when it comes to wine, there's that great French concept of terroir, the way that the, the soil and the earth and the sun and the unique characteristics of that place shape a wine so that wines taste differently, even if it's the same grape grown in different places. And I think that's an example that, that some of my colleagues really like using because we want the projects to be informed by their place. We're looking to fund projects that are being done by communities, not to communities. So am I hearing you say that, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, that there is value in in looking at other creative placemaking examples and that you can draw lessons from them and maybe even some uh, practices, but that your own situation is going to be unique so that to replicate it you know, verbatim is probably not going to be success or, or is less likely to be successful. Well, though, if, if those weren't the words that were in my mouth, they should have been, because I think that's exactly right. <laughs> um, so, you know, we would love our projects to serve as sort of inspirations, mm -hmm. or perhaps there are tactics that could be um, borrowed. There's a great project in St. Paul, um, Minnesota, where there was a light rail project that was going through a neighborhood and a commercial corridor and was going to disrupt activity in that area for about two years. And the business owners were really panicked because I think, as everyone knows, once you're known as a neighborhood that's under construction, all anyone thinks about is traffic jam. I'm not going to be able to get through there. How do I get around it? Don't go anywhere near there. And this organization called Springboard for the Arts made really small grants that partnered a local artist with a local business owner and essentially said, do something, right? Over the next two years, figure out some things to do. And we want this neighborhood known as a hot, hustling, a place where there's both nightlife and great stuff going on during the day. And so even in that example, not all of the artistic interventions along that corridor looked like each other, but all of them really helped transform the identity of that neighborhood. And they did an analysis of news coverage of that neighborhood to see how many times that neighborhood was mentioned in relationship to traffic jam or 
or the word traffic and how many times it was mentioned in relation to words like cool and exciting and great place to go. And they really built an identity, a reputation for that neighborhood as being an exciting place to be, a place where lots was happening, a place that was open for business, even though um, they had this giant construction project literally bisecting it um, for, for a course of two years. So I think an example like that, a tactic like something like that, is something that could be used in lots of communities in lots of ways, but it doesn't necessarily need to be a jazz musician partnering with a Thai restaurant um, as the exact intervention because there might not be a great Thai restaurant or the, the person who owns a Thai restaurant might not like jazz music. Or, mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think we can learn, be inspired by our colleagues, but don't necessarily need to copy them whole cloth. Got it. We have about a minute and a half left. Uh, Jamie, I'm going to ask you if you could, in like 45 seconds to a minute, talk uh, briefly about how activity in a district impacts the perception or reality of safety. You touched on that previously. Sure. There's a great example in um, the Upton's Corner neighborhood in Boston that's really been challenged because I think as any city leader knows, when you have a place that's empty, people who are doing things that they don't want other people to see are attracted there. So the more you bring sort of positive foot traffic and positive eyes on the street, that actually increases real public safety. And at the same time, as it's known as a place that you can walk or as a destination you want to go to, simultaneously increases the perception of it being a a great place. So I think both the reality and the perception are being changed at the same time. And we know that often the reality can change and the perception can lag a little bit behind. So I think it's a great, simple, fast, relatively inexpensive way to sort of have civic leaders begin making that change. This is great. And in the 15 seconds we have left, I invite our listeners to uh, Take notice of the upcoming annual meeting of the Wilmington Renaissance Corporation World Cafe Live at the Queen, Tuesday, May 6th. For more information, visit the Wilmington Renaissance website at bigideaswilmington.com or our Facebook page. Look for Wilmington Renaissance Corporation. Jamie and Carrie, thank you for joining us today.